Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time you are tuning in. Welcome to Homesteading and Gardening in the Suburbs. I'm Emma from Misfit Gardening and today I want to talk a little bit about land race development and I know that we've talked a little bit about land race seeds and land race gardening here on the podcast before. Indeed, it's one of the more popular topics that I talk about but I really want to kind of drive home that it's never too late to start saving seeds and it's never too late to start developing your own seeds that are going to thrive on the land that you are gardening on. So I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about how the process is going for my garden um, so you can maybe get some inspiration to try it in yours. And this year in my garden might be the hardest gardening year yet. Not just for me because I've got a lot more land but also for my plants too. And I know, you know, talking a little bit about land races, you know, if you're not familiar with the term, definitely check out some of the previous podcast episodes that I have done about land races. But the highlights are that land race varieties are basically fruits and vegetables that are adapting and thriving where you are. They are genetically diverse, so they have lots of variety, lots of variation in them, but they grow very very happily very readily and they pollinate um you know more naturally right you're not having to try and keep things true to type you're not having to use methods to prevent cross-pollination and stuff like that so they're a lot less stressful i would say for somebody who is new to seed saving right the process of seed saving is a little daunting for a lot of new gardeners who are trying to get into that um so having like less stress about trying to keep things true to type means that you know it can be a little bit more of a rewarding exercise in you know gardening and who doesn't want to have lots of seeds right (laughs) especially as a gardener so let's talk a little bit about how we start the process of developing our own varieties because it starts with planting out a number of different varieties of any plant that you are trying to grow and you want to grow them the way that you normally grow for that fruit or vegetable so You know, if you spend time growing it indoors, transplanting it, you know, you put compost around the plants, you know, every week, you know, maybe you water with, you know, I don't know, a organic fertilizer or something, or, you know, you use a certain kind of mulch, right? Grow it how you normally grow these things, right? You don't want to pamper and coddle these plants or grow them any differently. Um, So, you know, that's that's how you want to be growing it, right? If that's how you normally grow your plants, grow them that way that you're saving them for a land race, right? Don't necessarily do anything different for your land race. So in my garden, that means a couple of things. Firstly, I grow a number of transplants because of the short season here, like tomatoes, peppers, stuff like that. Um, I have totally forgotten to do my corn, so that's going to be interesting because I'm going to be direct sowing that this year. Um, same for my squashes. Like this year, I'm actually going to be growing them direct into the ground. Normally, I would do a transplant and then grow those out, but quite frankly, I have run out of space um, to put things in because it's I can't quite put my tomatoes and peppers out because the risk of frost hasn't yet gone. So, you know my my house is kind of you know in somewhat of a disarray because of various um home improvement projects that we need to do and um 
you know, various other things that we've got going on with an older house, right? Those of you that know that you've got an old house that you're trying to remodel, right? There's, there's projects, right? <laughs> so for me, that basically means that there's some stuff that I've just not been able to get started. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how those grow just direct sown this year but those things that i traditionally do as transplants are you know peppers tomatoes eggplants those kind of things um you know some seeds i sow directly outside normally beans for example i sow outside the risk after the risk of frost has gone it's like my pole beans and stuff will all be going out you know june fava beans or broad beans i sow outside before the last frost when i was in england i would sow those in fall or in autumn here in the US, I do them in spring, right? And all I do, same for the transplants, I water them in. I water the seeds in when they get planted and that's it. Um, if I've got some compost and mulch, I will add that. And if and when I get any more, maybe I will add it then. But pretty much nature takes over. Um, the plants will get watered if it rains or if I happen to have water in containers that I was able to collect down near the garden, right? When I was in Utah, we had a sprinkler system set up because it was super dry. So the conditions here are a little bit different, right? There tends to be a little bit more water that comes through, but there are certain periods of the year where things are going to be dry. I'm here on well water, so I don't necessarily want to be using things that are going through the well going through like the arsenic mitigation system and all of that stuff to then have to water the plants because it's going to put more pressure on the systems that i have you know for the house so we made the decision that land race is kind of going to be it because it's more of a survival of the fittest kind of deal right so if these plants are able to deal with you know only getting watered when it rains and forcing those roots to go down to find where the moisture is further in the ground that's that's great right they're gonna have to work hard to to grow so you know they'll get watered if it rains um, I will check for bugs and pests when walking around the garden, but I'm really relying more on my companion planting to bring in those beneficial bugs to help out. Diseases, well, they're kind of being handled with plant spacing. So, I'm, you know, my tomatoes, for example, I'm giving a really good amount of space between them to try and reduce um, some of the problems that I know are likely to happen in this area with the humidity. So really growing is a big risk and a tough job for those plants that are part of this land race breeding project on my um, homestead, right? They might not grow, right? They might get eaten by slugs. They might succumb to disease, right? On my three acres, I have space to combat some of those problems, right? Using probability and statistics. Basically, by planting a lot more plants, right? A higher number of plants mean that there's a good chance that there will be some survivors and some thrivers in the garden right but then you know there's always the possibility that nothing grows <laughs> so those survivors and thrivers are what i would want to be saving the seeds from to grow out the next year so for my garden let's say if my savoy cabbages make it or my broccoli that i have painstakingly transplanted over you know the last couple of evenings after work if they manage to survive without the extra pampering after harvesting them, 
I'll leave the stalks in the ground and let them grow back in spring to flower, set seeds, and then I'll save the seeds and grow them again the following year. Now I'm not starting from complete scratch for all of my veggies with this kind of land race breeding project. And granted, I'm doing it on a bigger scale with a larger number of plants um, and, you know, veggie varieties. Um, you know, I'm doing things from squash, corn, you know, brassicas, turnips rutabagas right there's there's a lot more melons right there's just so many more things that i'm trying to to do on the homestead this year because you know i'm not entirely sure what's what's gonna make it but for some things i have already been working on various projects over the last couple of years whilst i was in utah so i've got seeds that i've been saving whilst gardening over that time so i've got saved carrots and squashes tomatoes corn leeks lettuce and melons so the seeds that i've saved are going to be or should be more willing to grow right and I've started small and saved easy seeds like beans and peas. And then I got a bit more adventurous with my seed saving because I'm a garden nerd, right? I, I actually quite like doing the plant breeding side of things because um, I find it pretty fun, right? It's it's one of those things that kind of keeps my inner scientist happy. Um, and even though like I didn't pursue like botany or anything like that or you know biology and those kind of things as a stem degree i went with chemistry instead but you know it kind of keeps that side of me happy because i'm able to kind of tinker around um with sort of plant breeding and kind of creating something that you know i want in my garden now i'm on a bigger homestead for example our plant goals have changed a little bit right I'm looking for things that are going to be a lot more winter hardy here in Maine. And I'm looking for things that are going to be coping with, you know, different diseases and different pests than what I had in Utah. There's also like kind of fun projects that I'm trying to do, like super tall, like sunflowers, right? That's something that, you know, we started doing when we were in Utah and it's something that I want to continue here in Maine. We also have our you know, families, pumpkin growing competition, right? Those are things that we just kind of do for fun. But from a homestead perspective, let's take tomatoes, for example. I've got 50, yes, 50 varieties of tomatoes that are going to be out after Memorial Day or, you know, the end of May. So heads up, there is probably not going to be a podcast for the Memorial Day weekend because I'm going to be out getting things into the ground. So please forgive me in advance for not um, having a podcast for that week, but I'm sure that you guys will understand why. So of my tomato varieties, I've got different slicing tomatoes. I've got paste varieties, you know, those for canning and making sauce. I've got a couple of cherry varieties, although not many of them actually um, grew from seed that I had, um, unfortunately. So that was a shame. But I've got a bunch of of different tomatoes that are kind of like I don't know multi-purpose you know ones that are good for like salads or slicing or canning um, I have no idea what a number I say I say a number I've got probably no idea what at least 40 of these um, heirlooms are gonna taste like no idea at all but that's part of the fun in this experiment in growing because when I first started doing heirloom tomatoes, um, my husband was very much like, no, I want red tomatoes and I want, you know, big ones for, 
whatever slicing putting into sandwiches blt kind of thing now it's like okay okay cool that's that's what you want i wanted something that was a little bit more exciting because you know who has not looked through those delightful glossy magazines of heirloom varieties of the company that we all know um and had a look at them and just been like wow i want to grow all the things right um please let me know if that's been you if you've ever looked at a gardening catalog and wanted to grow like 90 percent of what's in there um but you know i i was a lot more intrigued by some of these you know different shapes and colors and stuff like my husband doesn't necessarily want to grow like yellow or orange tomatoes right he's not that interested in some of those um however he could not turn down ones that were space themed because my husband's a bit of a space nerd so i've got varieties like star and supernova um as an example right which are um different colored varieties but actually he's gotten a lot more adventurous with trying some of these heirloom varieties that i have grown and has found a lot more that he enjoys um purple cherokee for example absolutely loves that variety and that's something that every year we now grow that heirloom so you know there's things that we we like and we're always going to be growing certain types of heirlooms but having a land race variety alongside that that is ready to produce produces well um with how you know our garden grows um that's always you know a great thing to have because you know i'm growing this to grow food for my family and for myself like i want to be able to you know survive off the land right that's that's kind of the goal and i'm sure that's the goal for most of you so back to the tomatoes right i'm i really don't expect that all 50 heirlooms are going to grow right and granted i've actually got more than 50 plants going out because there's you know a couple of plants for each variety so i've probably got close to i don't know 130 tomato plants that are going to be going out um which i i mean in one hand i really hope that they don't all grow because that is going to be a lot of canning and i'm going to be telling my boss like oh hey um my tomatoes are ready i need to take a week off just for canning and i'm going to be canning for 24 hours straight right there's there's a lot that's there but i mean some plants are definitely going to keel over with blight right some are not going to manage with the soil that you know i have or maybe they don't like the light and the positioning that they are or they don't like how you know they're not getting watered or they're getting watered infrequently right so not everything is going to grow so for the tomatoes we want to be saving seed from those plants that are making it right those that are surviving or those that are growing really well those that are thriving and we want ones that taste great right so i want you know let's say like i'm looking at the canning tomatoes the canning varieties might oh my gosh this variety tastes so much better and makes such a better sauce than you know this other variety so i'm gonna obviously try and save the seed from the variety that i prefer right those tomatoes that are great taste those that grew well those are all going to have their seeds saved for next year so maybe rather than 50 varieties of tomatoes next year there's only six varieties of tomatoes that i actually save seed from right so i grow those six varieties instead and i grow out a number of those six varieties so a number of plants and i'm looking for the same thing those plants that make it right and those that taste great 
save the seed from those so maybe now like the next year right those six varieties maybe there's eight or nine tomatoes that had the taste that we were looking for we save the seed from those eight or nine great tasting tomatoes that grew well and grow those again the following year we're selecting plants that grow to how we garden and taste the way that we want them to so this is kind of where you know we're having that kind of sustainable you know homestead kind of deal right we're not necessarily relying on having to you know be buying seeds all the time right we're, we're creating them in our own garden and we're saving them year after year so let's talk about leafy greens next right tomatoes leafy greens um totally different but leafy greens is an interesting land race type of project for us here on uh, the homestead right growing greens that are great young in salads maybe want bigger leaves for cooking maybe both maybe you want you know variety of leafy greens and by leafy greens i'm talking things like kale and mustards but it could also be you know spinach or lettuces and things like that or you know mountain spinach you know other things that you you enjoy right collards there's another one right there's there's lots of different things that you know greens could could be right and you know it depends to what you're looking for right i like to have things that are multi-purpose right it's kind of why i'm very interested in some of these multi-purpose tomatoes right same with chickens we had multi-purpose chickens because i like things to you know have more than one one use right no exception when it comes to gardening um but having greens that I can use, you know, when they're small in a salad and then let them grow bigger and then use them for cooking, like braising or, you know, stewing or whatever else that I decide to do with, with the greens. Um, but greens that are able to grow despite slugs, cabbage fly and aphids. Ah, now that gets a little exciting. Like my mustards growing outside like I, I know that I posted a, a picture on um, Facebook that my my slug nemesis was back but actually now that I've got the cabbages out my um, mustards are not as attractive um, to the slugs anymore so they're obviously more interested in my um, cabbage crops than my mustard crops um, but you know having various greens that are able to grow despite having slugs kicking about and you know cabbage flies and aphids and all the other things that you know greens have to contend with now that starts to get really interesting so i've got a couple of projects when it comes to leafy greens um i've got one that is really tall like super tall kale plants like taller than me and i'm pretty tall at five eight um but i want like really tall kale plants um just for fun right just just for total fun is something that i'm working on but the other project is winter hardiness and it gets cold out here and i want to have leafy greens that i can harvest with minimal frost protection here in maine so let's talk about the winter hardiness because that might be more interesting than my crazy tall kale project um, i'm probably going to be known as the crazy kale lady at some point um, but having a diverse set of genetics in leafy greens that allows me to keep harvesting different leaf shapes, colors, sizes throughout winter with little frost protection is actually pretty interesting to me because I really like leafy greens. Leafy greens taste better in cold, colder weather. They're sweeter. They don't have the bitterness that's often associated during winter, uh, summer, sorry. Um, so winter 
harvesting is always you know exciting for me and obviously with lots of snow on the ground you know things become a little you know difficult to harvest and stuff so having a little bit of frost protection to try and keep some of the snow off is obviously ideal um, makes it a lot easier when you're coming to you know harvest things um, but I've always been interested in varieties that will thrive over winter with little or no frost protection and this was a project that I had already begun when I was in Utah so I actually have seeds that I've saved from plants which survived winter without any coverage in Utah granted not as cold as it is here in Maine but what I did was I sowed a number of kale varieties and I know I'm talking about kale but this equally could be used for mustards or open leaf cabbage or cabbages right any any of those kind of plants but what I did I sowed a number of different kale varieties like lots of different ones and I think I grew probably six or seven different varieties right and I, I just put them in the ground and let them let them grow you know I harvested leaves and stuff you know as I needed to um you know fed things watered things just just the way that I normally would grow these plants right I let them grow um you know in various beds within the garden they grew with different plants they grew together there was there was all sorts of things going on in there and you know i had um a mixture of different colors different shapes um different mix of heirlooms and open pollinated varieties right so i let them grow without any protection from the weather or the dogs eating the plants i know my colleagues are strange not unlike their owner but those kale plants that grew in spring even with a nibble from a collie or two i let them go to seed and i let the pollinators do their thing i wasn't trying to keep a variety true to type i just wanted them to behave naturally now don't get me wrong i think it's really important to preserve seeds in their stories for culture and history but i love to grow heirlooms and i also think it's important to save heirlooms and i think it's also is equally important to allow plants to pollinate and i'm a busy girl so having land race type of growing and seed saving that takes me back to how my great grandparents or the medieval farmers of my family tree grew plants so to me like i don't think that there's anything wrong with growing heirlooms and saving heirloom seeds i think it's very important to do that but for me on, on my homestead like the land race is much more the way that i like to to grow and be able to save the seed so there's differences with how we grow right i always say there's lots of different ways to garden as there are people on the planet and you got to find what works for you right i'm super busy right i work a lot and because of that i don't want to have to be having to worry about trying to protect my heirlooms from cross pollinating with you know other plants in the garden right i want to be able to just let things pollinate the way that they want to so back to the kale right things pollinated over the summer nothing was you know the bees just came back and forth over those kales that survived right not everything survived over the summer at all like i mean it was shocking actually how much didn't survive um i was quite surprised but those few plants that made it right i let the bees just kind of pollinate between them all and by the end of summer i had seed pods that i dried and threshed 
I won't lie, threshing is my least favorite of the seed saving. Um, but I ended up with a gallon jar of seeds, right? A gallon jar of kale seeds. For those of you that have grown kale, you know that kale seed is not big. And I had a gallon of it. I still have a gallon of it. <laughs> that is a lot of seeds. Can you imagine never buying seeds again? That, my friend, is the beauty of seed saving. And you can do seed saving no matter what garden size that you have, right? That's that's the beauty of it. Now, this gallon of kale seed has made it safe and sound here to Maine. It's also avoided becoming rat food from the rat in the wall. So thank you, glass jars, for seed saving. But this year, what I will be doing is I will sow out that kale seed that I've saved. I'm also going to say sow out some other open pollinated and heirloom varieties that I've picked up along the way through seed swaps and purchases, right? Like I've got a bunch of different kales and I'm just going to sow all of them out and I'm going to grow it out on my nice new garden beds. Now, here's the thing. I could leave half of them out over winter without any frost protection and half in a hoop house over them. Anything that makes it without any frost protection, you bet I want those to flower and make seed the next year, right? Those are the plants with the winter hardy genes that I want in my land race. But winter might equally kill off everything because it gets really cold out here, right? Got to remember it gets down to, you know, minus 20 or below. Um, so, you know, winter has a, a real risk of killing off all of those plants that I'm leaving out without any frost protection. So if it does, I've got some of these brassicas, some of these kale plants in a simple hoop house that will hopefully make it. And if any of them do, I can still have, you know, them grow out in spring and save the seed. Now, next year, I'll plant out those seeds that I saved from here in Maine. But this is where things kind of depend on what happened last winter. If I had plants that made it without frost protection, then I would leave them in the ground, no frost protection. If they grow again in spring, great, their seed is saved and so on. And I'll just kind of keep doing that. Now, if the seed I saved was from plants under a hoop house protection, then I could do the half and half, like half in the hoop house, half uncovered. And anything that survives without the hoop house, I'll save the seed from, right? Maybe in a few years time, I'll have some really winter hardy kales that make it and I'll want to start adding maybe different leaf shapes or colors, right? And that's as simple as letting some of those plants from the hoop house be pollinated with the winter hardy kales or, you know, any other variety, right? I could sow some kale plants, keep them protected. You know, let's say it's one that I really like the color of or the, the leaf texture, right? I can protect those until, you know, spring, plant them out or, you know, uncover them if they're being covered and just let them go to seed and pollinate with everything else, right? Because some of those genetics are going to mix with those winter hardy kales. So when I sow and plant that seed again, I'm going to start to see some of this diversity coming in. So I'm going to start to see these different leaf shapes, different leaf colors, right? All of these things will start to play out, but they're still going to have that ability to adapt and grow in the colder weather. So you can take this approach for any winter hardy crop like collards or cabbage. This is also how I'm working on my leeks. 
But you could change the idea from winter growing to summer growing. So if you're in a hotter part of the world, maybe you could try growing lettuces that are slow to bolt or slow to go to seed and nurture your land race about that, right? Each year you're saving seeds from lettuces that are bolting or going to seed later and later in the season, right? Maybe you've got, you start out with plants that start to bolt in, I don't know, may right and then the next year when you're saving seed you know you have some that start to bolt in june so you start saving those seed and then maybe the year after it's you know middle of july when it's starting to to bolt right you're starting to select for plants that are you know staying the way that you want them for longer right they're becoming slower and slower to get stressed out and going to seed um and you know you can save seed from the ones that taste the way that you want them to right if it's slower to bolt but you hate the taste of it then you know don't bother saving the seed from it you could also try this approach for spinach as well which you know depending on the variety is notorious for bolting as soon as you get a little bit of warm weather now saving beans or peas is quite easy and you let them dry out on the vine and you can grow them out year after year saving seeds and growing them again right the purple potted bean surprise that i had growing in the garden back in utah that i posted about in the facebook group was a total random change that happened and those are things that happen when you work with land races right they have diversity in their genetics because they can pollinate freely and they have a greater ability to adapt to how you garden so you'll start to see things that are a different shape or a different color or a different taste right and you can use Use, you know your ability as the gardener to decide like hey i really like the taste of these i'm going to save the seed from these i actually like the taste of these more than the ones that i was already saving the seed from so now i'm going to start saving these seeds instead right this is you developing your variety for your garden and how you grow now if you're interested in starting land races for your garden start by saving seeds even if it's just a couple of plants from your garden right one or two plants from an end of a row or you know one or two plants that just happen to go to seed right sow those seeds next year and keep saving seeds you will have a lot of seeds believe me and land race seed saving and gardening is getting a bit more of a spotlight now like heirlooms have proudly held the gardening spotlight for a bit um and you know you you might still Still find in seed saving and swaps and groups gardeners are not overly inclined to try a land race that you are developing but why not try to break that cycle in your community and share seeds with friends and family or neighbors or even a community seed library right locally adapted seeds means growing food at home can be easier and more successful no matter what the growing season and i know a lot of you that are listening to this podcast that is why you are growing a garden to grow food for you and your family so why not start with growing a land race and saving seed as well so i would love to hear from you and let me know what you are saving seeds from or what land races you are wanting to start creating this year in your garden let me know over in the facebook group and until next time i hope your garden grows beautifully and i will see you next week